0: Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Paul Rees, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Shard Chapel. It's a great joy to uh, be here today and to be a part of this baptismal service. Uh, it's going to be a great help to you to have a Bible. And if you don't have one with you, we'd love to put one in your hand. So just put your hand up if you don't have a Bible with you. Just don't be shy. Someone will bring you a Bible. Just keep your hand up there for that. And uh, while you do, look at Romans chapter 5 on page 1132. We've got lots of Bibles, so if you need one, just put your hand up. And while, we, um, while you do that, let me tell you about the remarkable conversion of Ayan Hirsi Ali. She grew up in, uh, in Somalia as a Muslim teenager. She was drawn to radical Islam of the Muslim Brotherhood type. And she moved to the Netherlands. She was shocked by the September 11th attacks on the U.S., And uh, it kind of moved her to becoming part of the New Atheist Movement. She just became a strident opponent of Islam, a campaigner against forced marriage, honor killings, uh, child marriage, and FGM. Christopher Hitchens, back in the day, once described her as the most important public intellectual probably ever to come out of Africa. She has been a Dutch politician. Uh, She started a charity for women's rights, and is a fellow of the Hoover Institute of Stanford University. And at the start of November, she she stunned many with an essay, Why I Am Now a Christian. And you can actually listen to her being interviewed uh, on YouTube, on the Unheard channel. It was released at the start of this week. I found it fascinating. She spoke of how the traumas of her life had uh, led her to great despair, really. And she had turned to alcohol, essentially, to get her through life. She said, I'd drunk enough alcohol to to disinfect the hospital. And she spent time going to a therapist. And the therapist diagnosed her problem with these words. I am. I think you are spiritually bankrupt. Well, she was in such darkness that she thought, what have I got to lose? I will open myself up to consider Christianity. And as she began to look at Jesus, she discovered a God who was totally different to the God that she had come to hate in Islam. And that discovery, in her own words, is beginning to transform her life, transform her life and and satisfy her soul. And so if you're here today as a skeptic, as someone who um, is a critic of Christianity, I wonder whether you would open yourself up to the same consideration this morning. Would you give Jesus a chance? And so... I want to show you a little bit about Jesus by looking at Romans chapter 5 today. And uh, I'm going to focus on uh, verses 6 to 8. But for the sake of context, I'm going to read from the beginning of chapter 5. And uh, you'll find that on page 1132 in the church Bibles. So let me read these verses. Uh, They're written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. Therefore... Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word. Keep keep that open in front of you. We're just going to focus in, uh, particularly in verses 6 to 8. And I want us to consider this morning briefly the transformative love of God. If we come to know the God who loves us with this sort of love, then it's going to give us great hope. It's going to give us great assurance, even in the biggest difficulties that we might face in life. Uh, verse 5 speaks of the. Um, the subjective sense of God's love in our hearts. But in verse 6, it points us to the objective demonstration of that love in history through the death of Jesus Christ. And that's what Christians and what Matthew and Chloe and Caleb have come to understand and believe and give testimony to today. So notice with me from these verses that God's saving love was proved when we needed it most. Look back at verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That phrase, at just the right time, is a, is a reminder that Christian faith is rooted in, in time and history. Jesus was born in Israel over 2,000 years ago, and his life, his death, his resurrection were all part of God's plan. Uh, at the very start of this letter that Paul writes to Christians in Rome, he, uh, he says that uh, this gospel message about Jesus is the one that God promised hundreds of years before in their scriptures. And by the time you get to the end of the Jewish scriptures, which is the first part of our Christian Bibles it's quite clear how lost and spiritually bankrupt we all are as human beings towards God. When you read through the the timeline of the Bible, it's clear we are totally powerless to save ourselves, to get right with God. And it was Paul Barnett's little commentary on Romans that brought this to my attention with the word still. Did you notice the repetition of the word still in these verses? When we were still powerless, when we were still ungodly, while we were living our lives without regard for God at all, while we were still sinners, it says in verse 8, at the point in human history where it was beyond doubt that we were totally lost and incapable of saving ourselves, at this point when we needed it most, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus was often criticized by the religious leaders of his day for spending time with the, uh, those that they deemed to be especially sinful and irreligious. They were just shocked at the people that Jesus hung out with and ate meals with, uh, people with very dodgy backstories, people with questionable morality. And Jesus replied uh, to their criticism with this phrase, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call... The righteous, but sinners. And you know what? That is totally wonderful news. When you come to realize that you are sick and sinful, and I don't know whether you heard that in all the three stories we heard today. There was a realization that actually it's not just a problem out there. There's a problem inside of them that they were sick, that they were sinful. You see, if you think you're spiritually healthy, if you think that you're righteous in yourself before God, then Jesus has got nothing for you. But if you're becoming aware of how spiritually bankrupt you are, as Ian as, um, Hersey Ali did, and, and if you realize that sin has enslaved you and is harming your relationships and your life, then don't think that that disqualifies you today. Quite the opposite. The love of God is proved by how He loved us when we desperately needed this salvation most. It was precisely... When we were powerless, when we were ungodly sinners, that Christ died in order to rescue and save. It's just the most amazing news. But secondly, notice that God's saving love was shown to those who deserved it least. Now, who do we love? We generally love people who we find attractive and desirable. Uh, A decade or so ago, uh, Love Songs and Charts used to be along the lines of, I love you because you're beautiful. You're beautiful. Uh, uh, I love you because I need you. I love you because the way that you make me feel. I love you because you love me. Uh, That was about 20 years ago. I, I inflicted upon myself the task of reading the lyrics of the top 20 songs at the moment. And they were more like lust songs than love songs, to be quite honest, even more so than 20 years ago. But the bottom line is that we generally tend to love people who love us, who we find desirable. But compare that to God's love. Uh, Compare God's love to the best of human love. Look at verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. It's an old movie now, but I don't know whether you've seen Saving Private Ryan. Uh, it's a powerful movie. It's about American soldiers being sent behind enemy lines in World War II to rescue Private Ryan, bring him home, the last uh, living son, uh, back to his widow mother. A number of them lose their lives in the process of trying to rescue him. And all the, quite often in the, in the narrative, the question they keep asking themselves is, was Private Ryan worth or the sacrifice and risk to rescue him? It's a good question, isn't it? Who would you be prepared to give up your life for? Would you give up your life for your friend? Well, possibly, but they'd have to be a pretty good friend. Would you give up your life for your spouse? Hopefully. What about someone who disliked you? What about somebody who kept ignoring you? What about someone who delighted in passing on malicious slander about you? Would you give up your life for that person? And my guess is the answer would be universally no. No, we would not. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Still sinners. When we cared nothing for God. When our actions were ugly and evil. When we were thanklessly taking all the good stuff He gives us, but just refusing to acknowledge Him in our lives. Verse 10 spells out the significance of being a sinner further, when it says, while we were God's enemies. But here, in part, is what is so amazing About God's love. Not only did God demonstrate his love when we needed it most, but he demonstrated his love when we deserved it the least. See, I think one of the great fears that uh, people have as as others get to know them, especially when we fall in love, is this uncertainty. Would that person still really love me if they knew everything about me? Well, here's the most wonderful thing about our God. He knows all things. He knows everything about us. Right down to our worst deeds and our darkest thoughts. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? The gospel of God reveals that I am far worse than I ever imagined, but at the same time, more loved than I could ever dream of. What assurance that gives us in life. What assurance that gives us even as we front up to our guilt and our shame. Uh, Mes McConnell is uh, one of the pastors of Nidri Community Church here in Edinburgh. And in a book he wrote a few years ago, it was called The Creaking on the Stairs, Finding Faith in God through childhood abuse. And he details this awful abuse that he experienced as a child. It had obviously a massive impact on his life, initially towards a life of of drugs and, and crime and violence that eventually put him into prison. But then he became a Christian, and he started going to church regularly. But he did so with a deep anxiety that he would be rejected if people knew his past. And this is what he writes in that book. What if people found out what I was really like? What a liar I was. What a fantasist. What if they realized that I'd done some truly awful things in my life? I thought about a lot of, the, of my victims over the years, the people I stabbed, the homes I burgled, the drugs I had sold, the frauds I had committed. I dreaded people who knew me in the past coming to church to expose me as a charlatan. I used to have nightmares of all the people I ever heard coming to a church service and sitting there listening as I told them of my new life in Jesus. I could see their sneers. I could hear their jeerings. I could sense the anger, hostility, and cynicism. What a joke. A lying rat like me, hanging around respectable people and pretending to be a Christian, it sounded ridiculous to me, and I knew I was genuine. Then one day... I discovered these verses in the Bible. Romans chapter 5, verses 6-8. to I discovered that Jesus didn't just die for me, but he did it knowing just how ungodly I was. He saved me when I was at my weakest, when I was at my least desirable. He saw me at my worst and still saved me. He did not reach out to me because he saw redeemable features in me, like my fantastic sense of humor. There was nothing lovable about me. There was no good. Instead, his own love compelled him to do it. The sense of freedom and relief this passage brought was profound. No, people in the church did not know what I was truly like, but Jesus did. Yes, people I had hurt could sneer and question my motives, but Jesus had still died for me. It is transforming to know God's love when we needed it the most, and when we deserved it the least. And I want you to notice thirdly from these verses in in Romans chapter 5, that God's saving love is now proved forever. But God, verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. Christ died for us. Now there's so much theological and pastoral gold in this verse Just consider what it tells us in our doctrine of God and the divinity of Jesus Christ. How can it be that the death of this man in history, Jesus of Nazareth, is the very demonstration of the love of God? Only if Jesus the man is also truly God. So that what he does demonstrates to us the very character and person of God. And that gets explicitly clear as you come to verse 10. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son, it says. So consider how costly and extravagant was this sacrifice of love. This verse is as glorious as John 3, 16. The other famous verse for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The Christ who died for us was God the Son, the one in whom God the Father was utterly delighted, the one who was most worthy. At his baptism, uh, heaven declared this, you are my beloved Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. God gave the very best of heaven for the very worst of his creation. This Jesus The only, sinless, perfect man. The one who was infinitely precious as God the Son sacrificed himself in the place of sinners. Christ died for us. Christ died. When you've been a Christian for a while, you can say those words and forget what it meant. I never forget just reading Mez's book and just this experience of abuse and humiliation mockery and cruelty that he experienced as a child brought it home to me the awfulness of that sort of suffering Mez came to see that although he had suffered Christ had suffered more Jesus was beaten stripped mocked tortured whipped the delight of heaven chose to come and bear this for us, for me. And here's the point of verse 5. The cross of Christ proves forever God's amazing love to justified believers in His Son. Christ died for us. Do you notice the surprising tense in verse 8? We would more naturally say of things in the past, but God demonstrated... His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But that's not what it says, is it? Look at verse 8 again. God demonstrates. It's, it's in the present tense. Present and ongoing. God continues to prove His own love for us in the present. By what He has proved forever in the past. While we were still sinners. Sinners. Christ died for us. So throughout our lives, uh, we will know times of great joy and happiness, but I can promise there will be times of tears and tragedy. We will experience disease and illness. We will experience perhaps even violence and opposition. We may know heartache and loss. But for the believer, whatever our circumstances, whatever subjective sense I may have of whether I know God's love or not, this is objectively true. The love of God is proven for me forever in the historical events of the death of Jesus Christ for me. The love of God is beyond doubt. Read on, get to chapter 8 in Romans, and you'll read these verses. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son But gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him. Graciously give us all things. Heaven has already given its best. What's he going to withhold from those he loves? Nothing that we truly need. So as I close. Can you say this for yourself? Christ died for me. Have you come to that place of, of surrender. And trust in Jesus Christ. That's what our friends getting baptized today are communicating to us. They know it's true for them. They have the assurance of God's love forever proven to them. What about us? What about you? Now, if you've got any questions about anything covered this morning, I'd love to chat with you at the end about this amazing and transforming love. God's love when we needed it most, when we deserved it the least. God's love is proved forever. Amen. Let me invite the band up. And let me just pray. Our gracious God, we we come and are just in awe that you love in this amazing way. We ask that you would Help us to understand more fully your great love for us, Demonstrates, demonstrated, it forever through the death of your Son for us. We want to thank you that you are alive, that Christ is alive, that your spirit is at work in the lives of people today. Father, would you give us strength for whatever we face in this week ahead? whether these are uh, uh, days of joy and laughter or days of sadness and tears, Uh, by your Holy Spirit, would you help us know your great love that can sustain us as we lean on Christ. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. We're going to sing a great song about where the Christian hope is, and then we're going to witness some baptism. So let's stand and sing.